Often people will ask, right, what is the gospel, really, when you get down to it? How do you define the gospel, this word we use so often? Jesus himself actually defines it in the passage we're going to be in this morning. And as he does so, we're going to find out that he's going to answer one of the most difficult questions we have in life. How can I make this world better? If the world is, as I see it coming across my newsfeed, broken and hurting and people are in despair and I see the people who are hurting around me on the streets around us and in front of me and I see the brokenness in my own family and in my own life, is it possible for me, little old me, to make this world a better place? What can I do about such big problems? Jesus has an answer for us. And it came in the form of him defining his own ministry and what he had set out to do in the world. This last week, I was reminded especially of this story. As some of you know, I'm, I'm part of this nonprofit called Jesus Economy that my wife and I uh, founded about six years ago. And I got a report from our indigenous church planters in Northeast India that we sponsor. And so what's going on in Northeast India is it's one of the least church places in the world. It's a, it's a 104 million person state we're working in and, and less than 1% know the name of Jesus, have ever heard of Jesus. They've never even heard that name. And I got a report of this, of this amazing story that there was this couple who had come to Christ in this remote village and they came to their pastor and they said, Pastor, we have the struggle going on. Our, our son, he's, he's an alcoholic and he's doing drugs and the little tiny bit of money that our family has, he's spending on this. And I mean, these are extremely impoverished people. So this is literally all they have being spent on this. And he got in a fight locally with these, these bus drivers and he ended up going to jail and he's going to be in prison for three months. If you know much about a prison in remote places like this, this is a very brutal, brutal circumstance that this young man's going to go through. And he said, we need to pray for him to be changed and for his release from this. So he doesn't have to stay longer, so nothing bad happens that keeps him longer there than these three months. And, and they started praying as a church, and, and he was able to get out after the three months, and he came to church with them, and he decided to commit his life to Jesus. He decided that no longer did he want a life of violence and one of drugs and alcohol, but instead he wanted the new life of these people who had been praying for him, and he wanted full redemption. And the man was set free from his addictions, and he was set free from the violent life he had had. His whole life was changed. His spiritual life, his emotional life, his family life, his life in society, everything changed. And I don't know about you, but when I hear a story like this in a place as remote and difficult as this, I think that is the gospel. The gospel changes our whole lives. The gospel is about our whole lives. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus came to say. Not that it's just about some idea that I aspire to, but some life I live completely. And that's what our passage is about this morning. So let's look at how Jesus said it in Luke chapter 4. Verse 16, it says he went to Nazareth, which is his hometown. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up 
to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Let's pause there briefly. Okay, this scroll is like 30 feet long. It's at least 20 feet. It's huge, right? So he picks up the scroll, he unrolls it, and he's going to stand there and he's going to read this in front of the synagogue in his hometown. And this is what he's about to say. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the Word of the Lord. Today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here's the young carpenter, about age 30, going to his hometown. He shows up. They hand him the scroll. He's not of real renown, but they probably know he's a rabbi. He's a, he's become a teacher now. So they hand him the scroll to read from it in his local church, his synagogue. And everyone's like, what did you just say? At another point in scripture, they say, isn't this the man whose parents we know? Right? We know this man's parents. He's the son of Joseph and Mary. They're shocked. They're in awe. They don't know what to do with it. They have no idea how to process this information. That this young carpenter shows up and says, listen, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But there's some other reasons why I think they're a little upset about this passage. If you go on the passage, you find out they're very upset about what he has to say. And I think it's because of what this passage actually gets at. It is so deep and so insightful about Jesus' self-proclaimed mission. And that mission is that his gospel is about our whole lives. So that one big idea that the gospel is about our whole lives, we're going to look at that through three points in this passage. The first thing we see is that Jesus has come to proclaim good news to the poor. So the Greek word used here to proclaim good news is euangelizo, which is the verbal form of the word we translate as gospel. Okay, so when he says he came to proclaim good news, he's using the verbal form of the word we usually translate as gospel in the noun form. So in other words, he's saying, listen, I came to proclaim this gospel. I came to say these words. And who is it for? The poor. I came to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, in a society that is structured around the poor staying poor, such as what you see in places like Northeast India, where people have to stay at a certain class level in order for the society to work the way it does, this is not good news if you're rich. This is bad news. Because if the the poor are empowered, all of a sudden everything has to change. Everything has to shift. My way of life is being threatened. 
Jesus is threatening their very way of life by saying the gospel is about everyone and it's about our whole lives. He came to proclaim good news to the poor. And then he goes on and he says this gospel is also basically for those who are captive, who are struggling. They, they are somehow captive either in sin or literally captives. Right? Think of the young man in prison who is captive to his sin. He is captive to the, to the alcohol and to the drugs and he is captive to his way of violence. But the gospel is good news for him. Because it's come to set the captives free. And here's where we kind of get into a bit of the context, right? So this passage that Jesus is quoting is from Isaiah 61. It was prophesied over 500 years before Jesus said these words. So he opens a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. These words were written over 500 years before he's going to read them. And it's talking about how the Israelites will be set free of their exile in a foreign land. And now Jesus is going to use this to say how everyone's going to be set spiritually free. And this gets back to that idea of the poor. Because anybody remember what Jesus says, blessed are the poor? He says this in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Interesting, right? Why? So who are these poor that Jesus is talking about? I think the first thing is that the poor that he's talking about are, as Matthew says, the poor in spirit. That all of us, when we're far from God, we're impoverished of the spiritual life that he intends for us. We don't have the full life he intends to give us because our sin and all of our problems, just like the young man with his alcohol and his addictions, they stand in the way of us and God. But then there are the physically poor, what Luke's gospel talks about, because they are actually literally captive to poverty. Poverty keeps their life a certain way instead of it improving and changing and being life-giving and full It's removed from the fullness that God intends. Because God, friends, if you didn't know this, hates poverty. (laughs) God doesn't want people to be poor. What he wants is us to have a complete life. One where there aren't the haves and the have-nots, but instead just everyone being able to have. But notice something here. Poverty, injustices, their captivity... They're holding us back from having a whole life. They're keeping us from living what God intends for us. What's that thing for you? Is it physical poverty? Is it not having enough? Is it the spiritual poverty, that sin that's holding on to you? What is that thing that's holding you back? Because Jesus came to set you free. He came to set me free of my sin and my transgressions and my wrongdoings, and he came to set you free as well. He came to set us free from the captivity. That is good news. That's the gospel. The gospel is not just simply an idea I aspire to or a thing that I say I believe. It's literally being changed by Christ. It's being changed by what he's doing. Jesus also says that he came to bring healing in this passage. If we look, he says, the recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Does your gospel heal? Or is it limited by the, the, the struggle you have to believe that Jesus can literally, physically change our existence? That He has come to have a whole life for all of us. And that in the, in the end of all things, right, we all experience resurrection with Him, all who believe in Him. And what does that mean? Our whole bodies are healed, but it's also very real, right? Do you remember all those accounts where Jesus is actually healing people, where he just shows up and all of a sudden a blind person sees, or, you know, the lame are able to walk? Like, that is the gospel too. The gospel is about our whole lives, our physical lives, our spiritual lives, our emotional lives, the economic realities in our world. The gospel is meant to change and transform it all. It's meant to change all of it. But think about it. Don't we do this thing? We take the gospel and we put it in a box over here and we say, okay, that's the gospel. It's a spiritual thing that I aspire to. And then I go and I kind of do everything else, right? Like I'm walking. Okay, that's not the gospel. I'm, you know, I'm living my life. I'm going to my job. Okay, that's not really about the gospel. I see the poor person in front of me. This box wants to get out. It wants to open up and just change that reality. It wants to change that situation because that's what Jesus is doing. When he sees the poor, when he sees the oppressed, when he sees the captive, he says, I must change that. I cannot handle a person being held back from the life that I intended. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I came to give life and life abundant. That's the gospel. But to understand the full implication of these three points, I think we got to step back and we got to look at what's really going on in this passage. When Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah, something magical is taking place. Something miraculous is happening. He points at Isaiah 61, which is, a passage that we can connect back to Isaiah 53. The reason why the exiles will be set free is because of something that happened seven or eight chapters before it. In Isaiah 53, it tells us that a suffering servant will come who will suffer on behalf of God's people and he will die and he will rise again and he will prolong the days. He will give eternal life is really what this is saying. He will come and He will give the resurrected life because of His sufferings, because it says He bore our inequities and He lifted our sins. Because He did that, because He died and rose again. Note what Jesus says. The Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do you hear it, friends? This Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. If your gospel is boring and it doesn't change lives, it's not the gospel. The gospel is like this. I heard another story this week from Northeast India where there was this lady and she was from the lowest of the caste. And the caste structure is made to especially keep the poor poor. It's designed to make a society work off of the poorest people staying where they are for thousands and thousands of years. And this woman from the lowest of the lowest of the lowest in society, she 
She's looking to the gods to help her and the goddesses, and she's doing all the rituals, and she's living out her local religion. She's going from priest to priest, trying to find a way forward. But nothing is working. Her issue is that her husband is deeply sick. And so she hears about this local pastor. This guy is a Christian of all things. Whatever that means, she thinks. She says, okay, well, I'll go see him. So she goes and she sees him, you know, just like he's any other priest. And she says, listen, here's my problem. What can I do? What rituals do I have to do? What, you know, what has to happen here for him to get well? Because if he doesn't get well soon, the little tiny bit of money we have will all be gone and we're going to die. We're going to literally die. Me and him and our children. And the pastor says, you don't need to do a ritual because we have Jesus Christ, the Lord, the risen one who offers new life. All you have to do is give up these gods and believe in him and he will offer you new life. She goes home. She thinks about it. She decides that sounds like something I want. Someone who sees me as equal and whole and not as a society does. And she decides to believe and she tells her husband about it in his basically deathbed. And he says, well, yes, of course, that makes sense. And the pastor comes over and he prays over the man. And the man rises and is healed. Because that's the gospel. The gospel sets the captives free. It heals, it gives new life, it gives whole life. And the woman and her husband, him now being able to walk, they go out and they get baptized in the river and they proclaim a Jesus who in the midst of their society will mean persecution for them. And they decide to believe in that anyways because that Jesus, unlike the gods and goddesses, did not come to oppress, but to set the captives free. He didn't come to rule with an iron fist, but instead to give new life. He came to be a king that was worth serving. A leader that was worth having. Because the gospel is about our whole lives and it changed hers. Jesus' gospel is holistic. It's about the spiritual and the physical. Is yours? Because I don't know about you, but for years, my gospel was just about something spiritual, something I raised my hands about, something that I said. It wasn't about the whole life changing. It wasn't about deciding that I would live completely for Christ in every single aspect of my life. It takes Jesus working in me and changing me for that to happen. And it's still a struggle for sure. But Jesus can heal and He can make whole and He can call us to a new life. So I ask God, please move in us to change us, to make us people who believe in a gospel that can transform They can give healing. They can give new life. A gospel that can mean economic change. It can mean social change. It can mean a change in my personal life, in my family life, in my society. It can mean a change in our world. I think about this gospel, and it brings me to James chapter 1, verse 27. 
where James, defining the gospel, says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It is physical to look after them in their affliction, but it is also spiritual to keep oneself unstained from the world. Because in God's eyes, all those things are interrelated. They are connected. Our whole lives are what God wants. And this brings me to some final thoughts on this, that if Jesus wants our whole lives to be renewed by him, then doesn't he want the same for all people? Doesn't he want that message for all of the world? So this suddenly makes me think, okay, well, it's not just then if if I'm on mission for Jesus, if I'm out there doing his work, it's not just about me saying something. It's also about me doing something. It's not just about faith, but also action. It's bringing the two together because Jesus wants to save the spiritual life and the physical life. He wants healing and holistic life for all of his people, for all of his creation. So if this is the case, then... Doesn't that mean that it's not just good enough to care for someone's needs, but I must also speak the gospel to them? It's not just good enough to have an economic development thing going on that makes jobs or helps people in what they're going through. I have to also bring the gospel that transforms the community spiritually. I have to bring these things together that the the changes, the economic realities of people's lives have to be met, but the spiritual realities of people's lives also has to be met. And the basic needs that they stand in need of also have to be met, that Jesus' gospel wants to change all of these things. Very practically, I think this means when we look to try to transform our communities, we have to think like Jesus, which means that Jesus cared about all of it. So Jesus, he calls himself the bread of life in John chapter 6. Interesting phrase, right? I'm the bread of life, he says. So I have to, yes, meet someone's basic need of the bread they stand in need of, but I also have to give them the bread of life, who is Christ. But even better than maybe handing them some bread, wouldn't it be better if they could put their own bread on their own table? Isn't that what we all kind of want? Right? We all want the ability to provide for ourselves because God gave us initiative and the desire to work in his creation and to do good things in the world. So isn't it best if we're going to try to meet Jesus' gospel to do all of these things together to say, okay, if you have a very basic need, most immediately then must be met, then sure, here's the bread you need, here's the clean water you need, here's the medical you need, whatever that is. But to also say, look, if you need help economically, we can transform that too. We can do something that creates economic initiative, that creates buying power in our community, that actually transforms our daily life so that we can provide for ourselves. Isn't that what the woman at the lowest bottom of the cash structure in India also needs? She needs opportunities, right? But she also needs the bread of life, who is Christ. That's Jesus' gospel. So really, when you get down to it, Jesus has a whole different economy in mind. Did you realize that that's what he was saying here? When he said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, he says, 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me, Jesus, to proclaim the good news to the poor. What's good news to you if you're poor? It's a new life, right? He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the captives. That too, spiritual freedom, physical freedom from the captivity. The recovery of sight for the blind. The healing of our community and of our physical lives. To set the oppressed free. That we may live free lives both spiritually and physically, to be able to provide for ourselves and be empowered and known in the world as people who can do God's work to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee is the word for this in the Old Testament. The year of the Lord's favor. Imagine that. Imagine if your gospel was that. That sounds pretty irresistible, doesn't it? It's good stuff. Maybe you're having a hard time believing. Well, I can tell you what, in the world right now, the people who I know who are believing in this, they're seeing that exact kind of change. So I ask you, when you see the need in front of you, sure, be the person who rises up to meet it. But also think about How could I, as an individual, help this person to meet their own needs in the future, to empower them to do that? When you see the person who doesn't know Jesus' name, but is poor and doesn't have what they need, be sure to provide the bread first, because it's sure hard to hear about the bread of life if you don't have the bread in your stomach. But if you see the person who is spiritually poor, because maybe they have everything in the world, maybe I have all the riches, maybe I'm a billionaire but I do not know freedom. I do not know life complete and whole because I am spiritually impoverished, far from God, removed from him, and I feel empty. To that person, he shall say, you need the love of Christ. You need his life. And then they will hopefully be moved to do something about these larger problems too. But you can right now, you can make margin in your life. Ask yourselves, what do I not need that I'm using that I could put towards something greater? What can I do to be more welcoming in my community to invite people into the love of Christ? What opportunities can I take advantage of to do this? Because Jesus' gospel is about our whole lives. So I ask you, what is that thing that... Two, two things I want you to think about. First, what is that thing that you want to set before God? Maybe it's a physical problem. Maybe it's some sort of real, real poverty in your life you're struggling with. What is that thing? When we go to prayer together in a few minutes, I want you to put that thing before God. What is that spiritual thing you're struggling with? That spiritual poverty is distant between you and God. Maybe it's the fact that, yes, I need to know those who are hurting in my community and I need to care and I need to be empathetic. I need him to move in me, to change me, to do that. Because yes, friends, that compassion doesn't come natural because of the state we're in as people, but God can move that in us. Maybe it's that you need to take that gospel out of the box and see it in everybody's lives, and see our communities transformed. But then second, I want you to think about who's that person in your life who needs to hear the gospel. Physically shown or spiritually told. And let's embrace the year of the Lord's favor among us, because that is good 
news. That is good news among us. So let's do that. Let's pray. Let's bring these things before God. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Gospel that isn't stuck in a box, isn't removed and categorized and aside, but is about our whole lives, our, our economic realities of the struggles of those among us, the, the poor in our world and far-reaching places and right here in our community. And Lord, those who are in need spiritually as well. Those who haven't heard Your name or haven't come to fully embrace Your freedom. And Lord, I want You to move in us to change that, that our Gospel could be about our whole lives. So Lord, we set before You that thing we're struggling with. That thing that's holding us back, Lord. And we ask that You change it. And You renew it. And You make new life there. Proclaim Your favor upon that and change it, Lord. We proclaim Your favor in our lives. And then Lord, that that distance that our community has too, Lord, that the people we know that person who comes to our mind now who is spiritually impoverished or physically impoverished. Lord, we want to bring Your Gospel, Your whole life to them too. Help make opportunity and road for that. Make the path straight, as Isaiah said elsewhere, to that, that we could bring resurrected life to that. We lift these people and ourselves up to You, Lord, and we say Your favor is upon the world that you are in favor of renewed life, of the gospel changing our whole lives. In Jesus Christ's holy, righteous, and matchless name, we pray these things. Amen.